Matthew chapter number one. And here's a great, the great story of Jesus coming into the world. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. <laughs> wow, what a phenomenal statement that is. And you know, you're looking at circumstances that people face because we're not exempt from circumstances in, in, in December or around Christmas or less than perfect situations, none of which should ever keep us from celebrating the miracle birth of God's Son, Jesus the Christ. Amen? So, Father, thank you for truth, and thank you for illumination and opening to us the truths of your word and of your great love toward us as we receive it. We know it's transformational. We will walk out of here better than when we entered. Through Jesus, we pray, amen. amen. Praise God. You may be seated. I'm, my, it's so amazing to think that we can thank God. He shed his, his blessing on us by making a divine appearance, taking on the flesh of humanity and became one of us. And I was looking at that passage before I came out here where Paul writes, who being in the form of God, and the Greek word for that, as I looked at that, I, it jumped off the page. It's, it's something that has always existed is what that Greek word means. Jesus has always been. He just didn't show up on Christmas, the first Christmas day. And being in the form of God, he always existed. And it says there in that same Greek word, part of the meaning of that is, in other words, the outward form is one that he has always possessed. He has always had a manifestation of form, even before he manifested on the first Christmas day. Amazing. And you know, sometimes we have celebrations in life, balloons and confetti and noisemakers and food. And my uh, granddaughter wanted to know if there were Christmas pinatas. She wanted to play with one of those. Uh, what's needed to make a celebration special? Well, birthdays require presents, hopefully ones that you don't have to re-gift. A cake and friends, people around to help you eat the cake, right? And who can imagine the 4th of July celebration without some fireworks and some noise and explosions? And rightfully so. In the sports world, when a city's team wins the Super Bowl or the World Series, the Stanley you know, back in the 80s when the team we were, were really invested in um, was doing so well and won the World Series that year, uh, you know, were nail-biting games and that whole bit. And one of the stars who wasn't serving Jesus at the time, who's since become an outstanding speaker and Christian and lover of God, called me the other day, and out of the blue, and I because I, I followed him on Instagram watching the uh, travels of his life and the journey God's had him on. Brother's a minister now. He's serving Jesus and sharing, and he called me, and he just said, uh, I just wanted to connect with somebody who's in the ministry and say hello, and, uh, and thanks for following me, and thanks for cheering me on back in the days when I didn't deserve a whole lot of cheering. Although I was a superstar, I wasn't living the way I should, but I'm serving Jesus today. And he's, he's, and yesterday, was it yesterday or Thursday? Thursday, I guess it was Friday came, when we came in. 
on the on my front step was a FedEx box. And in that box was the 1986 World Series shirt. Old way. Yeah, with his name and number, authenticated, Hall of Fame, the whole bit stuff. And I thought, wow, celebrations. People cheer. Everybody goes crazy. National Basketball Association finals. I'm, my goodness, over here in Oakland, I mean, the city goes up for grabs, right? Massive welcoming demonstrations, countless thousands of people skip work, skip school, participate in a giant victory parade. They buy silly-looking souvenirs from vendors who are making all kinds of money. Major political wins. They've become staged media events. I mean, they've got lights and balloons and fireworks and involved show business personalities and prepared speeches. And many people associate New Year's celebrations with, you know, dressing up or dining out. Uh, some of them do things that you don't want to talk about. And then, of course, there's the great ball drop in New York City. And there's nothing inherently wrong with having a good time or expressing exuberance and being a part of a, a massive festive celebration. In Jesus' day, the celebration of Passover always drew hundreds of thousands of non-residents into the city of Jerusalem because they were there to celebrate liberty. Even today, Purim is observed with costume parties and dramatic presentations of the story of Queen Esther that's unparalleled in Scripture. And some Jewish events are religious and others are national, such as Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year's celebration. On New Year's Day in China, men wear huge lion and dragon masks. In Russia, colorful costume performers, they bid goodbye to the Shrovetide, a festival that, that precedes the Lenten season for us at Easter time. Muslims have a feast day. They have a, a month-long period called Ramadan in which they fast from sunrise to sunset every day. Then they stuff themselves after that. Uh, in Spain, there's even the unique festival of San Fermis, which features the running of the bulls in, in Pamponia. I mean, it's unbelievable. And I think about that, and I say, who's crazy enough to try to... I grew up in the home of a person who dealt with cattle, and uh, he took me out to places where there were bulls. You don't want to play with bulls. I don't know why anybody wants to run around with a bull. They will stomp you into the ground. They don't like you, okay? Ancient Rome celebrations included elaborate victory parades and massive feasts in which people binged and then they threw up so they could go back and eat some more. In the time of Rome's power, they had so much of the world's wealth, their tastes got distorted in bazaars. There were pies that were baked made out of parrots' tongues presented to the nobility. And if the pie was for the emperor, all those birds had to know how to talk before their tongues were used in the pie. Caesar Augustus was the one that God used to make sure that this mother-to-be was in Bethlehem when it was time for Mary to deliver her firstborn son. Caesar Augustus was not the Roman emperor's real name because Julius Caesar died in 44 BC from stab wounds that he received in the Roman Senate. Mark Antony was all but certain that he was going to be Caesar's successor, but he was shocked when the royal will bequeathed Caesar's fortune to his grandnephews. One of them was Caius Octavius. He was just 19 years old, and he became known as the son of or adopted son of the Caesar and now heir. He, he took on the Caesar family name, and for all time, it became a title, Caesar, 
Translated into German, it becomes Kaiser. In Russian, it's Tsar. And the Senate voted him the name Augustus, which means the exalted. It said of Caesar Augustus that he found Rome brick, but he left it marble. And where did his wealth come from? From everywhere, including the provinces of Palestine. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. And you think of Caesar and Quirinius and Herod and Joseph and Mary, and you kind of go down the string of life and you say, wow, I mean, you've got this powerful emperor and then you've got just Joseph and Mary. But when it's all reversed in the spiritual We don't ever talk much about Caesar Augustus or about Quirinius. We talk about Jesus and we talk about his parents and we talk, they're they're at the top because Jesus is king of kings, amen? And and, and why a census? To make sure everyone paid their taxes. Caesar needed money to support that expensive lifestyle. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. My goodness, so you see another great king mentioned here, not just the Caesar, but now David, the king of Israel. And you think about the journey that they had to take from Nazareth to Bethlehem. It's about 80 miles. And they traveled somewhat on foot. Maybe they had an animal that helped them on their journey. It starts out from, Na- from Nazareth as flat, and then it becomes mountainous, and there's valleys. It takes anywhere from five to seven days to make that journey from the north to the south. And I'm sure Mary was concerned, where is my, where's my child going to be born, and where are we going to stay? And, and I'm not going to have any of the people around me that generally take care of someone when there's a delivery, because in that day, a delivery consisted of you, your probably your mother, and and maybe someone to assist, and and that would be all there was involved, a good midwife to assist you in the delivery. But they're forced by the Roman government to travel all the way to Bethlehem, not knowing perhaps or maybe knowing that they were fulfilling the passages of Scripture that promised the Messiah would be born in the city of Bethlehem. Now, you think about the differences between where Jesus was born and the birthing process of that day and the birthing process of our day. Here is a description of a modern birthing room from one hospital website. And it's not in our community, but I'll just read this to you. It says, each room feels far more like a resort spa than a hospital. Relax in the whirlpool tub. Stretch out in a queen-size bed for your partner to share if you wish. Admire your newborn sleeping nearby in the in-room crib. Enjoy the attention of nurses who pamper the entire family. Pop your favorite CD into our entertainment center. Wow. Now let's look at Mary's birthing room. The time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. That's, that's quite a contrast, isn't it, where there's a manger a feeding trough for the animals. Mary was blessed by God. And thank, thank the Lord for this lady who served God in such a way that she found favor with him. And, and you look at the birthing process and Jesus coming into the world at that time, and you recognize that, you know, 
in our world, not all is calm and not all is bright, but God's promises in the middle of that animal dung and that noise and the disappointment were all at work and at play. And it, uh, if all were bright and all were calm, Christmas wouldn't be necessary. But Christmas is necessary. Jesus came because our world is broken. Amen? So David the king, the second ruler in Israel, national hero. You recall the story of the soldiers returning home after a victory celebration where David fought the Philistines and the women did their part. They came out from the... See, these are celebrations we're talking about. They came from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing and joyful songs and tambourines. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. And this was their song, Saul has killed his thousands and David is ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this? He said, the credit, they, they, they credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Bethlehem, where Jesus, or rather where Joseph and Mary had come to register, that's David's hometown. That's where he grew up. It's just a few miles south of the city of Jerusalem. And it says he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Then there's a third king in this story, the child to be born, son of David, lineage of David. And in that moment, it was pretty much a secret to everybody except his mother and the man who would act as his earthly father until the angels began to sing. And then the revelation came to the Magi from the east. It's a secret because any kind of whispering and getting this word out too far too quickly would put the young baby's life in jeopardy. You remember that, that God had to awaken Joseph or speak to him through Gabriel the angel in a dream and say, okay, Joseph, you've had the son. Now you're going to have to go live in Egypt for a while because they're out trying to kill your son. Remember bloody Herod, a king that within a year, he would have every boy two years and younger in Bethlehem put to death. Can you imagine the crying and the screaming and the difficulty? These were not the best of times or the best of circumstances under the thumb of these dictators. And it doesn't seem there was any complaining on Mary's part. We don't hear a, a, a whimper of complaint toward God. There's no indication she was stressed out. She's not saying, you know, this isn't the way we do it down here, God. I mean, there's no chocolate on my pillow on the bed at night, and, th and that, that's okay, but not even a pillow? I mean, not, e not even an inn? And if I'm understanding this correctly, this child you've given me is the Messiah. So if every hotel and motel is filled, you would at least think there might be some surprise for us now that we finally made it to Bethlehem. I mean, what did I have in mind? Maybe one of those ultimate picnic hampers in my room, at least from Harry and David. That would be a nice touch. And you know what? In her heart, Mary was celebrating in spite of the conditions. And I believe this special young mom-to-be was doing what was appropriate. And she will continue doing what is right up and through her labor to deliver the son. Mary is one amazing woman of God. Her relative Elizabeth said she was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you, speaking of Mary, among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. And Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of this lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations shall call me blessed, 
for the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. To celebrate means to observe or to commemorate an event. A celebration can be public. Sometimes it can be private. For example, you can celebrate communion with us both publicly and personally and in her heart privately. Mary is fully observing this event. It's almost too wonderful, too immense, too mind-boggling, but she's delighting in it. Less than ideal circumstances, we're not going to keep her from celebrating the miracle birth of God's newborn king. The world didn't celebrate very much when God's son entered it, except for those shepherds. It would take a while before all of that began to happen as the announcement broke out. And even now, most people's merriment at this season is too often misplaced, but not so with Mary. She was remarkable, and she was about now to deliver the son of the living God. And I'm thinking of what less than ideal it was, not only for her, but it is for some of our people in our culture today, this Christmas. Not trying to compare you to Mary or minimize what you may be going through, but I just want us to recognize for a few minutes people at this season who struggle in difficult circumstances. You know, in our family, we have a little saying, we call it top that shot, which means uh, somebody got something that went sideways for them. But wait a minute, I want to tell you what went sideways for me today. So we all try to top each other in the stories that we tell through the day or through the season. You know, some people are in very dark caves with little cheer in their souls maybe some scant rags and straw comparing themselves to Mary. Or here are some real-life, less-than-ideal situations that I've just accumulated, and I want to read them to you because they're all real. These are all not made-up stories. These are expressions of people struggling right now. Of course, we know that people who suffered the losses of their homes and and their places of business are displaced. That's a real-life story. And many of you got your hands dirty and involved and gave funds in order to help some of those people that were going through some of those difficult places. But this one, earlier this year, my, my wife died, and I miss her so much. I got a text early this morning from Al, and uh, this last week he buried his wife, and uh, he's brokenhearted during this season of the year. Another one said, my husband is in the last stages of Alzheimer's. He doesn't know one day from another. Another, two months ago, my marriage partner chose to call it quits. Another said, my business is close to bankruptcy. Another, the cancer was in remission, but apparently it's back again. Another, the accident left us with so many difficulties. Another, two of our kids are away from God. Another, the problem really hasn't been resolved. He's still a workaholic. (laughs) Now, my wife didn't write that one. Um, I thought progress was being made, but now I believe my company is as racist as it was 10 years ago when I first joined it. Another one said, if we could only go back before the split in the congregation and rework some of those events, you know, when I have to go in representing our district to help people who are going through these kinds of disagreements, it's it's a disgrace to the name of our God to do some of the things people do. Or another one said, he's drinking again. And I tell him, you're wonderful when you don't drink, Daddy. And I beg him not to, but he does anyway. 
Another said, we made the last payment on our car and told the Lord, thank you so much. And that very day, our furnace went out. <laughs> the other said, the accusation was ridiculous, but the papers picked it up. So tell me, how do I get my reputation back? Another said, I can't love him anymore. How do you love somebody who hits you physically? Another one said, I can't love her anymore. How do you love someone who gives herself to another man? Another one said, I finished the work four months ago. Did a good job too, but I still haven't been paid a nickel for it. The other one said, the heartaches, or rather the headaches are hard to figure out. Some days they're like a five and I can live with that. But when they get up to eights and nines, I have to go to bed. And that just creates a whole other set of problems. Another one said, I used to believe we had it so good because we thought we were smarter than everybody else. And now I kind of think we were the right people at the right place at the right time. But the money is all gone, and I figure we were just proud fools. And then this last one said, when he took his life, it's hard to talk about it. It was like something died in me as well. These are some of the things that people face, difficulties and stresses. There are going to be people this Christmas with no chocolate and no pillow and no room reserved at the Hyatt or the Hilton. Tom Bodet may not even have left the light on for them at the Motel 6, right? But that doesn't mean they can't celebrate the miracle of the birth of our king. Amen. If the baby that was born is who we believe he is, then those who mourn can now find comfort. Caesar Augustus wouldn't offer that, but King Jesus does. The poor in spirit, the little people who lack a champion, they won't get any encouragement from King Herod, but under King Jesus, they are forever blessed. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven, the meek and the powerless, all those taken advantage of and hated in one way or another by the rulers of this world. Listen, under this newborn king, they inherit the earth. And before the arrival, am I preaching in the right church this morning, right? Before the arrival of the Son of God, such people didn't have much hope or much of a future, but now they have. Amen? The world will never be quite the same because of this one who is to be born. So even less than ideal circumstances shouldn't keep us from celebrating, right, the miracle birth of God's newborn king. And how can we do that? How can we celebrate in our hearts when we could be easily overwhelmed by adversity, when not everything is the way you want it? Does anybody live like that, by the way? I don't know how to live like that. How do you commemorate an event like the birthday of this king whose coming brought hope to the hopeless? To start with, we check our impulse to concentrate on the negative, to rehearse the litany of woes to our friends, to make a habit of just mumbling and cursing under our breath, even when we're all alone. Stinking thinking is what that is. Instead, we work at focusing on God's great promises. In public, we give testimony of God's continued goodness in spite of real and pressing problems. In private, we thank him for every evidence of his care, every evidence, whether they're large ones or small ones, that regardless whether or not our major problems have been resolved. He's still God, and he's still good, and he still loves us. We choose, listen, we choose carefully the songs we sing or we listen to. The right 
CD can become a great inspiration during the days leading up to Christmas, even as the wrong CD and the wrong song can drag us down. The station in our car radio needs to be tuned to some, something important and positive, as do the TV programs we watch or the movies we choose to go attend or the books and magazines we read. We say, I want to be certain I'm spending my focused time on the coming into the world of the one who brought us hope, Jesus. And friends are helpful, but they don't have the resources or the understanding and the love that only you have for us. So we make quality time for your presence one of our highest priorities during these days. Remember, even less than ideal circumstances should not keep us from celebrating the miracle birth of God's newborn king. And to put, to put circumstances into perspective, you say, well, anyway, it never came to that. You don't say, oh, it never came to that prayer. <laughs> if things are tough now, I dread to think what they would be like if I hadn't known Jesus, right? And, and use your imagination to describe what an incredible mess you would be if you had, listen, if you had relied exclusively on your own wisdom or your own insight in your own decision-making issues. Sweet Jesus, I mean, I would have been the world's biggest crybaby and mess, or my tongue would have gotten me into so much trouble. The problems of this day are nothing. They are a speck compared to the pit I would be in right now if it had not been for you, if it had not been for Jesus. You identify with that. Do you understand that? Amen? Then celebrate that you're not the person you would have been if Jesus hadn't made a huge difference in your life, thank God for Jesus. Amen. So you decide over this next week, you ought to put on paper a heartfelt prayer that you pen from your spirit, the best one that you've ever written or prayed, and take time under that listing of prayer to identify things that Jesus has done for you this past year. It may take you a while to finish it because of all the good that God has done for us. Amen? But you're starting to gather some ideas in your mind and let your mind go back to the faithfulness of God. Understand, you'll only get the, the draft completed by the time we get to Christmas. My prayer, your prayer should be a delightsome praise to the Lord it should have a confetti feel. There ought to be trumpets accompanying it. There ought to be celebration. It shouldn't be a woe is me prayer. It should be a thanksgiving prayer and praise from your heart. And including that, extend to somebody a Christmas pardon. Knowing how pain feels, you don't wish that on somebody else. Neither do you minimize what the withdrawal of your favor means to somebody so in the season of goodwill toward all, you work at focused love, at being forgiving, at bringing joy to the world to someone who once knew this, the approval of your smile. In the process, remind yourself that blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Amen? And as you find joy in getting that perfect gift for somebody you love, not the one Tyler described, and so nothing can keep you from finding a special way to show how you truly love and, and, and honor Jesus 
by being a blessing to someone, yet you recognize that your circumstances may not be the best. They may not be perfect this Christmas. However, you make certain he's your focus, knowing that what he faced on your behalf was much harder than what you will ever have to go through, was much more difficult than anything you're facing today. And maybe like Mary, you ought to take a Christmas trip. God's been nudging you to connect with a certain person and have a cup of coffee, a trip across town. You've been a bit apprehensive, and unknown factors make you a little hesitant. But go for it. Take some baked goods to that neighbor. And for the first time in your life, go caroling with some friends and sing glory to the newborn king. Amen? Visit someone who's shut in and can't get out and bring a little Christmas cheer. Maybe there's someone you know of that just recently was arrested and is going to spend Christmas in the county jail. Go pay him a visit. Extend an invitation to your friends to visit our church tonight and on Christmas Sunday and on Christmas Eve. Put your fears behind you and let this trip be a sacred pilgrimage like Mary took. And to make sure you don't appear to be an alien to those you invite to church tonight or on Christmas Sunday or Christmas Eve, like those who don't understand football or Stanley Cup talk, ask yourself so you have a prepared answer, what's so exciting about Christmas? Explain to yourself so you explain to others that you're commemorating a mind-boggling event, that you believe that this baby born was like no other. It was God coming to earth. Mary's child was not like other boys and girls. The seed was not from man, but from God. That's hard to believe until you see how wonderful and how different the Son of God is. You're convinced he's truly divinity, and he's the only one who merits our allegiance, and you view him as your king. He's not just a figurehead ruler. He's our rightful monarch, and we serve him with the best of our ability. You're proud to know the Christ, knowing what a difference he makes. And how you live your life, you're filled with appreciation and wonder and joy. And you can't imagine why everyone doesn't feel what you feel at Christmas. Why don't you just bridge the gap for those who just take Christmas as another gift exchange holiday and tell them the story of Christmas and let them know it's something you own in your own heart. All things considered. Let them know you could choose to live no better life than to live as a subject of the King of kings and Lord of lords, a citizen of heaven. Bocelli sings this song new this year, for the gift of life, for the air we breathe, for the tears we cry, for every melody, for the times we break even when we bleed, for the morning sun, I raise my voice to sing. Gloria, Gloria, una more eternal, I'm forever grateful. Amen? I'm forever grateful. So between now and Christmas Day, remove the bad times mask and put on one that reveals the joy of the Lord. Tell your neighbor, remove the bad times mask. Tell him, remove it. And when the enemy tries to get you to switch back, and default to that old nature, respond 
that it would, it would not be appropriate on a celebratory day. There are more than enough occasions to be down. But this is a helium-filled, high-flying balloon time. This is a day to celebrate. If Joseph and Mary could celebrate the birth of the Lord in a stable, we can certainly, in our circumstances, hey, Satan, circumstances don't make me a person. They just reveal what's inside of me. They just tell you what I am. That's why, oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. The circumstances weren't ideal that first Christmas morning, and they haven't often been perfect for believers down through the centuries to follow. The writer of the spiritual certainly understood it. With that unnamed composer, we can also say, world treat you mean, Lord. Treat me mean too. But that's how it is down here. We didn't know who you was, sweet Jesus boy. Made you born in a manger. How awful. Sweet little Jesus boy, we didn't know who you was. How true that is. Maybe people around you don't know. Maybe you don't know who Jesus is. Sometimes his identity surprises people who haven't been to church very much. But let me repeat what I said before. He's an amazing king. And it's not just my thought. The Magi knew this. They followed the star from afar. And when they came to the house where Joseph and Mary had moved, they bowed before the young child. Kings bow before very few people. And it's strange. These are wealthy rulers from the east. And they had met earlier with another older monarch, but they knew Herod was not the anointed one of God. So they choose to bypass this old monarch on the throne and honor the young boy living in the house. And they bowed down and worshiped him and brought costly gifts, including gold. You see, that's my king. That's my king. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the 
captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. Uh, I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. That's my king. Amen. That's my king. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. When Jesus began to preach, I would do a, I'd like to do a duet sermon with that guy any day. He would talk about his kingship or his kingdom. He would invite people to come under his rule. If you live by this king's standards, you love God and you love people. That sums up the message. It seems so simplistic, but what a wonderful world it would be if we would just start choosing to live like that. You know, the Bible clarifies it that we've sinned talks about us. We fall short. It's to miss the mark that none of us has, has loved God the way we should have, nor loved our neighbors as God intended. Because of this, great pain has come into the world, and all of us are guilty. We can't solve the problem through self-effort. There's no way we can resolve the trouble we've gotten into. But Jesus does that for us. He modeled what he taught. He loved God and loved people. A marvelous sacrifice for us to do the same he did. He paid the penalty for our wrongdoing. He enters us by his spirit when we bow before him like the Magi. And I believe the best place to do this is not at his childhood home in Bethlehem, but at his cross. We prepare to pray by kneeling at the place of death and looking up and seeing what he has done for us. We say, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I've been a part of bringing the pain there is into the world as well. I want to be forgiven. I want you to enter me and teach me to live the way you've lived. I can't do it on my own. But your majesty, I accept the offer of your love and I ask for your mercy. Would you wash me clean? Show yourself powerful by forgiving my sin and, and, and beginning to bring about the needed changes I have to have in life. I don't know if on this earth we're aware of the celebrations and what they can really be like in heaven when one sinner prays that prayer. 
The scripture says that all of heaven rejoices on such occasions when a sinner repents. And I think of it like this. On the first Christmas, angels filled the sky to celebrate the coming into the world of Jesus the Christ. Good tidings of great joy shall be to all people. And now, today, when one sinner repents, those same angels still rejoice and give glory to God. I don't know if they're fireworks or parades or costumes or animals running through the streets of glory. I'm not sure of that, but it's important enough for, to God that he looked for the virgin who would fill the role of bringing the divine, his divine son into the world. And he's looking for us asking, will you be obedient to me? Will you serve me? Will you allow my influence to mark your life? Will you become my subject in my kingdom? And if you believe Jesus could do that, forgive your sin, enter you by his spirit, and begin to teach you to live under his rule, when do you think it would be a good time to ask him to do it? From personal experience, I would say that doing so will set off an eternal celebration in heaven and an internal one that you can hardly contain. It changes your circumstances so everything else seems insignificant in comparison to this one relationship. It will mark for a marvelous Christmas, a Christmas you've always longed for, and eternity alone will reveal the extent of the celebration staged in heaven when you and your king once again become friends. because the devil can only go back to the day of my birth. That's the limit of his ability to have any influence in my life. But my Jesus goes back to the heart of his father who wrote the book of my life before there was ever a day. And once again, through his son, I can become a friend.